This is Invite to Game Night, a podcast for the hospitable board game lover, or anyone desiring to curate a richer board game experience. My name is Gordy Harrison, and I invite you to join me as we explore together what makes board gaming wonderful. Welcome to the table. I'm Alexis, and with me is my trusty board game compadre, Gordy. Hello. For today's episode, we're going to take a look at cooperative games, the good, the bad, the ugly, and what kind of a role they can play in game night. But first, we are going to do our question of the day, our icebreaker, and interview a few board games. Easy, easy, quick and easy question for today. What is the furthest from home that you have ever played board games? And we need to insert, you know, sound clip of Samwise Gamgee halting. If I take one more step, Mr. Frodo, I'll be as far from home as I've ever been before. (laughs) Very nice. That's actually very appropriate, given the location of the furthest place that we've ever played board games. Drum roll, please. Oh. From the sound library. We have to get a more expensive sound library. (laughs) Uh, I had to quickly put my phone down and do it. It was a little bit dicey. Anyway, for our quick-witted listeners, that is New Zealand Mm -hmm. is the furthest away. We had a runner-up. Well, you had a runner-up. Right. I thought that potentially um, my time in Ghana, West Africa, and I'm quite certain that we would have at least brought a deck of cards to play some games. I'm certain we must have played something while we were there. I thought that would have been the furthest place, but we did the mileage comparison, and New Zealand was the clear winner. I forget just how far away and how far down it actually is. It's 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 out there. It is far. So for all you listeners, let us know. Email us, follow us on Instagram, personal message us. Come knock on our door and tell us. (laughs) What is the furthest from home that you have played board games? And if you are in New Zealand, you are in New Zealand, born and raised, or just happen to live there, let us extend this invitation for you to come and play board games with us. And then we can have exactly the same reciprocal distance (laughs) furthest away that you've played board games from home. Nice. All right, let's interview a few board games, Gordy. Do you want to start us off with your first one? I would love to. First up for me is Hughes and Cues. This has been a crowd favorite in our household and anywhere we brought this game. Oh, and with good reason. So this is a 2020 release, a USA Opley, designed by Scott Brady. And this actually won the, the 2020... Uh, Dice Tower Award for Best Party Game. So rightly so. And like you said, we can personally attest to this is a crowd favorite. We we cannot bring this out without people wanting to play it again. It's true. We've had requests like, oh, what about the color game? Can we have the color game again? Yeah, which is so weird because quite honestly, when I looked at the game... I was not that interested. It's not. Like, looking, you it know. It doesn't if, grab you visually well, at first. I mean, it looks like the color wall at Home Depot. Totally. And 
you know, no slight to the the graphic designer, but I think I'd rather go look at the color wall at Home Depot. It has a little <laughs> bit softer and nicer color tones going on. Mm-hmm. That being said, this game is so much fun. So it is a it's a party game. We said that you're you're giving clues, targeted clues to the people around you. It's for three to ten players, and it plays in about thirty minutes. What you are doing, you are picking one square, and I think you you get a prompt from a card, and you can choose. It gives you, you the coordinates. Yeah, you you have a choice of four colors, so you're not totally stuck, and that's a nice touch. But you pick one square, and then you give everyone on the table one clue. And it can't be a reference in the room. It can't be a color like blue or green or orange. Right, kind of a generic Uh, color name. You can get fancy colors, like you could say fuchsia. Chartreuse. Um, But you give a one-word clue, and then everyone around the table takes their turn putting their pawn, one of two pawns, onto one of the color coordinates isn't it technically one of three because you use one of them as as you're scoring points yeah okay just sorry so they put one of their two remaining pawns on the board on the color that you think or that they think you are saying when you said apple so you know not a great you said apple just to be clear and i'm thinking a green apple so i put it on green and then everyone else at the table puts their pawn on a red color, and I'm thinking, Which is why oh I man. hate going first in this game. Then I just feel like the outsider. Yes. So after that, the clue giver, uh, by the way, will be getting points on how good of clues they gave because they get points. The more people they can get close to the color that they said, the more points they're going to get. So the clue giver can reevaluate and they can say, rotten apple they can give a two-word clue and then everyone goes around placing their 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 remaining their one remaining pawn on the color that they think best describes or is best described by rotten apple and then you've got this nifty little scoring rectangle that you put down with your color at the middle but that's fine i guess that's how it would work yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, so you center your scoring square on the coordinate and then you get points based on if you are the clue giver you're you get points based on how many people are inside or touching that the outside of that square if you are the people putting the the pawns on the board you get points based on how close to the actual coordinate you put your two pawns yeah it's a lot of fun the thing that I'm always thinking about when I play this game is how our eyes perceive color. And it I don't know, it just always is a fascinating little trail off in my thinking as we're playing this game. Well, and when you play with different groups, like either different households or different yeah. families, you know, you've got slightly different words for the same yeah, colors yeah. or or using the same words mean different colors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really is interesting. Yeah. What I find fascinating is you're looking at the card with the coordinates on it and you'll say a color. Uh, like, you know, if, if I'm looking at the card and I say turquoise and then I look at the coordinate on the board, yeah, it looks I can different start than thinking, the- oh my goodness, that's not turquoise. 
if you put the card down, it yeah. is very similar. Like I'm surprised how close they got the two colors to match, but it, it doesn't look like the yeah, same yeah, color. Yeah. Well, yeah, because when you're looking on the board, it's influenced by all the colors around it, where it's isolated on the card. Yeah. It's very interesting, but a lot of fun. Let me throw a question at the game. Um, blue, 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 blue. What do you think is this game's best selling feature? It's approachability. It is very approachable. We have played this with all types of game players, and it's been a solid win across the board. Well, and it takes almost zero time to explain it. Right, right. Uh, I mean, so... honestly, they could not know what's going on and just put their pawn on the board when their turn came around. Well, and it's easy. He said a word, put your pawn on the color you think matches that word. The hardest thing in the game is being the person coming up with the clues. That's (laughs) actually kind of hard. But the rest of it is super easy. Yeah. Very straightforward. All right. Can I jump into my next game? Absolutely. Or my first game, I guess. Our next game. So the game that I want to talk about is Micro Macro Crime City, a 2020 game uh, published by Edition Spielweiss, designed by Johan Sieg. And this game has done really well. It's won several awards. Um, In the Golden Geek Awards, it won for two categories, both for light game and most innovative. So it's done very well, and rightly so. It's a lot of fun to play. Uh, they, They say you can play this game one to four players. I think for us, we've decided its sweet spot is about two people. And it plays 15 to 45 minutes unless you are my sister's in-law in which case it plays from about two to five minutes because they have crazy good brains on them i yeah yeah you and i so irritating so we of course logged how long it took us to play various cases of this game um because this game comes with what about 15 different cases that you solve yeah it's something in there somewhere in that realm and so you know we went through them tracked our time and then two of my sisters-in-law wanted to do it. And so we threw, you know, first threw them a few easy ones. Like, yeah, we'll just get them rolling. And they whipped those out so quickly. And so, okay, clearly they needed more of a challenge. We threw them a higher level one. And we're thinking, okay, now, now we're going to stump them. This is going to take them forever. We and, won't even give them any hints. Right. We're not going to help them Unless they're all. really stuck. Yeah, they're on their own. And those little, oh, I think they halved our time. I think it took us like 15 minutes and they did it like eight minutes. You know what? I think what happened, must have happened. Uh, we hit go on the timer and the and baby we got woke up. I think so. And yep. we had to go attend to the baby. To and yep. It's the only explanation. But anyway, this is a cooperative game. And what makes it so much fun is it involves a giant map. And the way I've described this map to people is it's kind of like cctv footage and they've screen captured the footage at different points in time before you give people the wrong image because i think that's perfect that's that's how the game works is cctv footage Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna quickly throw out one word okay no it's more than one word (laughs) two words okay You know how to count. Good and job. And then CCTV footage will make a lot of sense and it'll give people the right the right uh, impression. Okay. okay. Two words. Where's Waldo? Go. Yes. Where's Waldo meets CCTV? It's perfect. Yep. And my goodness, this city, it is not 
where's Waldo friendly? There's a lot of crime that's happening here. It's like, where's Waldo once he's died, been killed? <laughs> yes, it's a very dark version of where's Waldo, but with very like cute little happy animations. So so quickly, now now that we've got Where's Waldo, because that's what it is. It's very busy. There's lots of little stories going yeah. on. Uh, you could spend so much time poring over this map. You could and, play and I find, Spy with this game. Oh, it's great. And there's little, you know, little pictures like so-and-so having an argument with this person. And over here, there's someone doing target practice. And is that Robin Hood peeking around the corner, like kind of thing. Yeah. But can you explain why you would say it's like CCTV footage? Sure. Well... What's happening is you'll see a lot of the same characters throughout the map and it's at different points in time. And if you manage to find all of the instances where that person comes up, it creates a story. And so you can't think of this map as just one big screenshot. It's a bunch of little ones throughout a day and they've mashed them all together. And using the various characters' storylines, you're able to solve these different cases, these different crimes that come up and answer the different questions that come along with it. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've gone through maybe like a third of the cases so far, and they get harder and harder and take longer and longer, theoretically, for some people, apparently not, um, as you go up in difficulty level. It's, it's a good one, and it's it's very captivating to look at because it's a huge map, and it takes up... We actually p have pinned it on the wall before. Pinning it on the wall was great. If you've got it on the table, you just end up give like, it enough time. You you will crawl up on the table to much. look at something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you have, like, fantastic lighting. But do you have a question for me? Slash for the board game. So what should this sit next to on a shelf? Hmm. Well, if I was thinking in terms of theme or what mood I might be into, you know, I might throw it up next to... I know, okay, sorry. I know this would hurt you a little bit because you like to have publishers stick together on the game. But I don't think we have we, anyone... We don't have uh, much more from Edition exactly. Spielworks, so I think. So I would kind of throw it up as like the the cute younger brother to detective. So if I was in a crime-solving mood, but I didn't want to put in the the amount of time and depth that detective requires, you know, I might pull out a little micro-macro crime city. Thank you for clarifying that because I was about to say, this is not, like, this is not cute... Or for younger audiences than, it's than Detective. It's the younger brother of this is, Detective. This is actually quite a bit more graphic in a cartoony <laughs> kind of way. I know, but the, the blood and, and murder really is, it's not that horrifying. Okay. One more quick question. Yep. What kind of music would you play while playing this? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good, like, kind of doesn't take itself too seriously detective did you have one in mind no i i picture actually just busy classical music um but probably that's because like Maybe, that's what looney tunes runs to does pink panther have a good soundtrack i might throw up some pink panther. Well, oh my gosh duh 
literally the <laughs> iconic theme song. Yes. All right. I would throw up some Pink Panther in the background. Pink Panther's good. And not not far off in its illustrations. Yeah. And I want to move on to my next game. And this is, we are going from possibly small with micro macro, like five minute cases sometimes. Yep. Especially if you're sister and sister-in-law. Uh, all the way to big, big, big. This is Spirit Island. Yeah, emphasis on big. This game, we frequently log three-hour plays. Minimum. And, and it is actually frequent because we we do we love playing this game. It's, it's one of our top games. It really is. So this is out in 2017, published by Greater Than Games, and it's designed by R. Eric Roos. Now, uh, in general, I just want to be talking about the base game. But actually, that's not true, because I really want to talk a little bit about uh, the Jagged Earth expansion that we got. Um, It uses the tokens brought out by Branch and Claw expansion and comes with a whole bunch new spirits. So Spirit Island, like we said, is... uh, can be up to three hours and player count one to four in the base game uh at least i think it's jagged earth you adds in the ability to go up to a couple more players so one to six players which we've done i think we've gone up to five or six the problem being it gets uh it gets very long especially if you're playing with new players the time gets yeah, and I, I think it is because of the new players thing. Uh, right, the, the nice thing is there's a lot of simultaneous play. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much exclusively simultaneous play. Right. I mean, mechanically. So what this game is is it is the anti-Catan. <laughs> so if if you take the the story of Settlers of Catan or Catan, yeah. you have. Um, Settlers come to the island, you start with a settlement or two settlements, and then you are taming the island of Catan. You're building roads, you're, uh, you know, uh, you getting your forces, you're getting knights, getting the largest army, and you are, you're, you're conquering the land, and you're spreading across the island. This game, Spirit Island, takes that idea and flips it on its head. You are old, old, old spirits who inhabit this island and you, you are, are living peacefully or semi-peacefully with the, uh, the, the natives living there who were visitors to the island from long ago, but you have since, since hashed out your differences. Your spirits, so you've fallen a little bit asleep, you're a little bit slow-moving, mo- but you wake up one day and there is settlers on your island and they've got a couple uh, a couple villages they might have a city and they are trying to explore and tame your island and that is not good for you it's not good for the natives that you're on peaceful terms with you want them gone and you will kill destroy terrify out of their minds these settlers in order to get them off of your island yep pretty much um, really fun mechanically how it works is the island gets bigger per spirit that is playing uh, so that's actually one of the reasons I think it actually does scale pretty well you still get 
sometimes two to three hour games with lower player counts. And it stays two to three hour games at the higher player counts because everyone's kind of messing with their own board. Sometimes there's a lot of spillover and you really do need to yeah. cover each other up. Uh, been really enjoying the, the Jagged Earth expansion. Like I mentioned, it came, I think we had the previous expansion to Spirit Island. Jagged Earth doubled the number of spirits that we could play and added some really cool ones like uh, Starlight Seeks Its Form or um, uh, what's uh, the, the Fractured Days? Fractured Days Split the Sky? Is that what it's called? Something like that? Ooh, might be. I really like the, the Trickster one. That one's pretty fun. Yeah, I think uh, some of them, yeah, Fractured Days, Split the Sky. Uh, we've got Shifting Memory of Ages, I thought was really fun. Some of these spirits, they let you kind of build what the spirit does. In the original game, it's kind of like, here's how the spirit plays. Try to do that as well as you can. And some of the ones, some of the spirits in this expansion are, this spirit doesn't know what it does. You're going to decide what it does by the cards that you get through the game. Anyway. A little bit more, yeah, customizable in a way. Amazing game. We could talk about it. I feel like we haven't even given a very good overview of it. We could talk about it so much longer. But worth playing. Find yeah. someone who has it and play it with them. And if that happens to be us, you'll make our evening. <sighs> Real quick. We talked about how the game can get a lot longer if you've got new players involved in the game. So what would you say the learning curve is like on this game? It can be pretty steep. Yeah. They've, there's, they've, there's a lot going on. Yeah, they've done some things to kind of mitigate that. There's some simpler spirits um, yeah, in the base game. Helpful. And they give you walkthroughs, so like... On this turn, do this. On this turn, do this. On this turn, do this. Yeah, to get uh, you get you rolling. Yeah, and then I they've limited the your choices. Really helpful. Uh, like the the spirits in the base game have cards that every time you learn a new card, because that's part of the game is you're constantly drawing new cards, and that expands what you can do. Uh, in the base game, each spirit has a set. Next time you're going to learn a card, learn this one. Next time you're going to learn a card, learn this one. And that saves you from having to choose a little right. bit. Do you, you have cards that are set aside that you're only drawing from those ones as yeah. opposed to the big stack? And okay. then as you get more experienced, you can go through and just uh, um, draw cards. It's kind of a, a draft. You draw, draw four cards, pick one, put the others back. Yeah. So... We actually haven't used that to the best of its ability. I think we've kind of, the people that we've played it with. We've thrown like, them in the deep end you, a little you, bit. You got this. Yeah. Just, I think just we play could have been a little bit way. kinder. And maybe, you know, been a little bit more choosy as to which spirits we offered as options. We've just given them the huge yeah. stack and been like, choose. Here's your stack. Yeah. So a little bit of a learning point for us. All right. Last game. This one will be a real quick one. One of my favorites. You got this for me for Christmas a couple years ago, and you nailed it. Oh, this is one of the few times I've gotten you something, and you did not see it coming. It's true. I didn't even know about this game, and it's since become 
totally a favorite of mine. This is Seikatsu. And it wins the award for being the only non-cooperative game on our list tonight. Just thought I'd point that out. Hughes and Q's technically is not cooperative. Oh, I guess. It's, it's really not. If you're the clue giver, you're trying to cooperate with... Yep. Yeah, okay, I stand not. corrected. Nope, because you're trying to get more points than everyone else. So anyway, it's one of the two non-cooperative games. Uh, so Seikatsu, this is by IDW Games. Did I already say it was published in 2017? Oh, we've got two 2017 games here. Kicking it old school. <laughs> in the board game world, kind of, yeah. Uh, this is by Matt Loomis and Isaac Shalev. And this is a tile placement and set collection game. Plays one to four players. I don't think we've ever played it more than three players and typically just the two of us. And it's a quick one, 15 to 30 minutes. It is, It. I think part of the reason I love it so much is it is very beautiful. The, the artwork on the tiles is lovely. Um, so on the tiles, you have different birds and a few koi fish. And what you're trying to do is get um, the different rows to have as many of a certain type of bird as possible. And what's fun is depending on where you're sitting, you have a different view. And so, you know, the rows to me are not the rows to Gordy. Yeah, I kind of want to call this like perspective scoring. Yeah, Like totally. how I'm, I'm trying to arrange them so that things line up from my perspective right without getting them to line up for your perspective exactly exactly so you're trying to foil my plans at the same time as trying to make things score big points for you um, and then the point of the koi is they act as a wild and they can help you earn some extra points a lot of fun it's very i find it a very peaceful game because all you're ever doing is choosing between the two tiles that you have in your hand, laying one down. There's certain ways that you score points immediately, um, though the majority of the scoring happens at the end of the game. And then as soon as you've placed your tile and scored any necessary points, you take another tile from the bag. And then it's the next person's turn. It's very, there's, it's thinky. It certainly is thinky, but there's not a ton going on. And it's a very relaxing game for well, me. The, the artwork is very... It's kind of a little bit muted, but yeah, I love it. Yeah, and a lot of... I want to play the with weight, a cup of tea on a rainy day. Well, the, and the weight of those tiles. Oh, it's just, it's they're very so well made. relaxing, they're very this well game. Made. Do you have a quick question for me? I do, and I think you answered it already. What would you drink? What would you serve with it's this game? It's a tea game, man. It's 100% a tea game. I'd have some herbal tea, maybe some, some cookies fresh from the oven, and play this game. And again, I definitely picture playing this game on a rainy day. Crack open you know, the door so that I can hear the rain. Play this game. Okay. Ideal. Who would you most likely introduce this game to you're asking me two questions i frequently do that in case you haven't noticed <laughs> <laughs> i'm very hard on one question only who would i play this with um i don't know i feel like i would play it with i don't know i feel like my grandmas would have loved this game 
it's just, it's not highly complicated to learn. It's got nice pieces. It's pretty to look at. I feel like they would have enjoyed this. So as we're talking about cooperative games, I want us to start with a little bit of back and forth on what comes to mind? What are some of the games that first pop into your head when we're talking about cooperative games? Well, for me, our first introduction to cooperative games, correct me if I'm wrong, was Harry, Harry Potter, Potter, Hogwarts Battle. <laughs> yep, that's and exactly what I was thinking of too. Kind of going through those seven boxes and then two expansions, I think just solidified for us a love of cooperative games yeah. playing together because uh, that was pretty early on in our in our, our our adventure, our foray into board games. I would say it's probably it was one of like the first 12, 15, 20 games that we bought. It was somewhere in there. Yeah, it and was, it, it was pretty early. It was it was our first cooperative game, and. I don't know that we've been trying to recreate the magic that was that first cooperative <laughs> game or that first game of Harry Potter, but it holds a really special place in our hearts. And I yeah. think that all cooperative games hold a special place in our hearts yeah. because of that game. It, it creates a little bit of a different experience than when we're competing against each other. Yeah, it really does. And full disclosure, we are very competitive. We have a long, long history of competing with one another. It goes back to Well, no, I've, I've been gymnastics. competing with you longer than you've been competing with me. How so? I've, I've just, I've been better at it, okay? Uh-huh, okay. Oh, I see, I see. No, I've been doing it longer. Yeah, if, like I'm thinking way back, what, like... Okay, you're, you're going to bring ago? up the back handsprings again. Oh, of course. It's like one very clear instance of me totally beating you. Like just, there's no, there's no question. There's okay. no debate. Okay. I could do more back handsprings than you. And you've never managed to top me on that. And, and we don't need to do a rematch, obviously, because many years have passed. What's the most number you've done? Go all day. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> okay. But we have a long history of intense competition, and it was kind of a nice change to be working together. Well, especially since, you know, this is coming out of, uh, what is it, 3D Scrabble, which nearly ended our relationship. Ooh, that was not a great game for us. It really was not. So I can't remember why it made me so mad, but it really did. I wasn't even spelling out bad words. Um, so cooperative games. Now I said, that's the first cooperative game that we played. Um, uh, maybe I should specify two things. First cooperative, more along the lines of hobby board games, um, that we played together. Had you because, played some well, on your own or with, as people? we're sitting here thinking about it, like Did Dungeons and Dragons. cooperative games with other people? Dungeons and Dragons is a cooperative, usually, cooperative role-playing okay. game. Okay. Uh, so, and I've played some some Dungeons and Dragons, some Pathfinder. Um, so that's, in that, the that's same cooperative. Realm. Sure, yeah. Uh, but in terms of hobby board games that we've played together, 
Harry Potter Hogwarts battle was our first. Yeah, uh, and it's the first that comes to my mind. Yeah, we've already talked about Spirit Island, uh, things like... Detective um, is another one. Detective, uh, Black Orchestra, where we're working together to kill Hitler and his minions. Um, More recently, we went through The Initiative. The Initiative, so good. Uh, I, I just want to learn how to write in codes now. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. There were instances where the betrayal um betrayal legacy game was, at, cooperative. was cooperative it always starts out cooperative until and kind of cooperative there's kind of that tenuous right you know somebody's you, you gonna kind of want to get stronger faster than yeah. everyone else so that <laughs> and and you, you're you know secretly happy when they get weaker uh less well-known ones like uh is it fuji that that dice rolling oh, yep. Yep. Uh, game the, with the, the neat mechanic for Right, the volcano is has exploded and you're trying to beat the lava. Yep. Down uh, the pandemic that... Uh, oh, that's classic, yeah. Well, and uh, is it Forbidden Island? That's kind oh, of the, same, the more simple... Matt, Matt Leacock, same, the more same designer. The version of Pandemic. Yeah, so these are kind of the our background to cooperative games. Now, I think we want to talk about why are we talking about cooperative games you know what function do we see them filling in a game night yeah because i do think they have a lot to offer to game night cooperative games have been a staple in many many of our game nights oh a big one that we didn't mention is lord of the rings the journeys in middle earth game Oh, yeah. We've played that on many game nights, and that is 100% cooperative, though it sometimes involved some conflict between players. Well, and that... Okay, so that brings up a point. I think we have a very clear role that we want cooperative games to play. Like, when, when we Do think they of... always fill it? Right. When I, at least for me, I'm like, okay, cooperative games means everyone's going to be on the same team. Right, there'll be harmony, and, and everyone will get along. I mean, you only have to watch any Disney sports movie to know that <laughs> just because being you're on, on the, the same, same team, team does not mean harmony. Yeah. And you only have to sit around our game table to know that uh, sometimes there's uh, quite a bit of in-team tension. Yeah, especially I find when you have you know, variation in experience between the players or maybe just differences in motivation. Or differences in backgrounds. Like if you have mm -hmm. someone who's played a lot of video games, there's a certain culture that comes yeah. with working with other people. Right, right. And there's some, you know, kind of social norms in that context that other people might not be familiar with. And... Yeah, when you have the you have that clash of just differences as people come to the table, it can it can make the cooperative games not feel so very cooperative yeah. anymore. Just because it's a cooperative game does not mean that everyone at the table is a table is cooperating. Yeah. Now, what it does, um, and I I think I can go out and just say this as a fact what it does is it eliminates competition because you're no longer competing against people for the end goal of winning 
Right. And, and I think maybe that's key to hone in on because that separates out what kind of friction you're getting. In competitive games, you can get mad at people because they messed up your turn or they, you know, they did something that feels like they targeted you. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, they took away your chance to win and they did it so that they could win and it feels unfair. Yeah. It's very different in cooperative game though, because you might actually get mad at someone for playing poorly, where if it was in a you know, competitive game, you might secretly be cheering when they made a bad move because it benefits you. Right. And in some ways... You're much more ways, invested in everyone playing well. Right. And I think that is... Um, that may be part of why there can be this backfire. Yeah. You, you know, get just because it's cooperative doesn't mean everyone's cooperating. Um, because it can feel a lot more personal you didn't do what I told you to do and therefore we're all in this mess. Yeah. You didn't do what I think was best. Yeah. Um, Well, and, you know, thinking about, you know, this first person role that you've taken on here, you can get some very bossy individuals and, and that bossy side just blooming and flowering in the context of a cooperative game. Right, right. Right, as, you know, the, the term that's frequently thrown around in, I'm assuming also video games, but largely in board games, this idea of the alpha gamer who takes the lead and is the the head of the pack, so to speak. Right, well, to the point of bowling everyone over where, yeah. you know, they're just servants doing the alpha gamer's opinion. Unless one of those servants decides that, no, it's my game piece. I'm going to put it wherever I want. And then that causes all kinds of trouble. Right. And we do actually speak from experience (laughs) because we have had all of these lovely situations pop up at various game nights as we've been playing competitive or uh, cooperative games. Um, Yeah, you get get some mutiny among the team. And... It can be a little bit frustrating to watch, but it's understandable. Like, you know, if you're on a team, you only like being told what to do for so long. And then your counter will will flare up and you're going to go off and uh, be your own bear and do your own thing. (laughs) So maybe this is a good time. Why would you choose? Let's, Let's boil it down really simple. Why would you choose a cooperative game over a competitive game? If, if you were tailoring your night for specific reasons? I feel like I have a few answers to that question. One of the first things that comes to mind is there are certain groups of people where I really enjoy, you know, the back and forth with them as we're planning out turns together or, you know, thinking of a game like Detective, you know, all of the, the discourse around, you know, throwing out different theories and, well, what about this? And, you know, maybe this is what really happened. And that that's just a lot of fun with certain groups of people. I wouldn't do it for just anyone. Also, sometimes I would choose a cooperative game if I was playing with somebody who maybe got really anxious learning a new game, you know, especially if it was a competitive game and they were kind of on their own. Whereas in a cooperative game, you can often help people along. And it can be a little bit more of a, I don't know, depending on the game, 
maybe a kind of a nurturing environment for, for a new player. Oh, sure. Well, especially if it's a player who doesn't naturally tend towards confrontation. Yeah. Like if, well, if there's someone I'm thinking who... of, yeah, some of our family members who get really anxious in, in like a mean game and they really just want everyone to get along and they don't want to do anything that hurts you and they would maybe purposefully play a bad card because playing the good card would mean they destroyed all your stuff. You know, we have we have some people that we've played with where they don't like that aspect of some games and would much rather just work together and have everything be friendly and nice. Yeah, so for for teaching to people, you know, for introducing board games to someone who's a you know a little bit they they shy away from confrontation. Yeah, co op can be a huge win if you can temper um, any alpha gaming going on. Right. And then as you were talking, I was thinking there are just some groups where it's more fun to be cooperative. Like if you have a group of people who yeah. don't necessarily like confrontation. Right. It's really fun to kind of come alongside each other and work together through a you know, the problems well, in the game. Yeah, if you're all working as a team, there are people who might not talk in a competitive game who all of a sudden are talking and chattering. And, sure, and it might be more of an environment where they feel comfortable. And so that's that's really cool. And I'm thinking too about the, you know, that, that experience of the collective win. Like that's a really fun thing to end your night on when you've all won together. You know, and it's not one person leaves champion and the others are all, you know, they didn't win this game. But there, there's something very satisfying about we all won. That is assuming you won. Some right. of these competitive, well, uh, cooperative thinking games are about journeys dead in, hard. Journeys in Middle Earth. We play nine games and very, we were very surprised by that loss because we actually thought we were doing not great we had a chance and then it was just bloop nope you've lost the end and we had to end the night on the loss unless of course you are our sister-in-law who decided that she was the enemy that we were all playing against and then she left feeling like she had won even though she technically did not play the game <laughs> cuts our micro macro times in half comes in and wins against us in our nine game campaign that we were building up to. Yep. Even though she had literally no role in the game whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah. So there, there's a lot of good to speak of when it comes to cooperative games and with certain groups of people, it can create an awesome environment in your game night. Okay. So maybe that's something to look at. How do we use cooperative games to make an awesome environment? Or how do we, if we're using cooperative games, how do we make it an awesome environment or an awesome experience? Yeah. I mean, we've alluded to a few things that we need to keep in mind, you know, for one, and we've talked about this in other episodes, but, you know, tempering the alpha gamer, tempering the person who's bossing other people around or getting frustrated if other people aren't making the quote-unquote right moves because they certainly have the ability to completely derail a cooperative game and take all the fun away like 
it's it's no longer fun if one person is dictating all the turns. Well, and it's it's good actually to get ahead of that because, you know, a few marginally bad plays yeah. where we're all doing them together, it's probably better than the one big bad play that is in direct response to an alpha gamer. Right. Well, I totally have felt, you know, that inner like, I know this is a bad move, but I'm just going to do it because, you know, I don't want to do what you were, you're telling me to do, you know, just doing it out of spite. And like, as soon as you've gotten to that point in a cooperative game, it's, you're not cooperating. It's not fun. The person bossing around is not having fun. You're not having fun. The other people at the table, it's a no win situation. Yeah. And I think honestly, that's the point in a game where, Either you halt and, okay, this isn't working, the bossiness needs to stop, or you pull the plug because once you've reached that point in the game, you're, you're not, no one's having fun anymore. Maybe the alpha gamer? I don't know. Yeah, usually not. Depends how much they love bossing. Because if, if they feel like people are if there's not, mutiny playing, among the ranks. not playing the right play, they're yeah. frustrated. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we go from picking your group, you know, people who work well as a team, people who maybe don't like confrontation, people who come alive when you're building towards a common goal. Yeah. Um, tempering alpha gaming, getting ahead of it, making kind of asserting that everyone has their own choices to make. And honestly, not a bad idea at the start of any cooperative game involving, you know, not just the two of us to put out a bit of a PSA. Hey, these are the things that don't work in cooperative games. Whether or not you think it'll actually be an issue, it's really, I don't think it hurts to, to put it out there. Well, and we've talked about little tricks for heading off alpha gaming, such as like, uh, you know, the person to your right is your personal advisor. They're the only one who can tell you yeah. what you should be doing. Yeah, or, no one else is allowed to talk at that point. Yeah, if, if you ask for help, it's the person to your right, uh, you know, unless you want to open it up to the rest of the table. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a great strategy. Very simple, but I think it certainly has the opportunity to head that off. And, you know, if you're going to institute that rule, not a bad idea to have... Um, assigned seating maybe you know if if you know that you have someone who does not appreciate alpha gaming you might not want to sit them right next to the person who has a propensity for being bossy like that maybe you want to separate them a little bit <laughs> so they're not right next to each other but I, I I certainly think it should not be an insurmountable obstacle to playing cooperative games there's certainly ways to work around it Oh, sure. And I mean, as, as we've been getting at, playing cooperative games can be such a rich, rich, rich experience. Yeah. Just the, the experience of all winning together, you know, overcoming those insurmountable satisfying. odds. Or conversely, losing together. You're all in the same boat. Yep, you can you, commiserate oh, there was with that each other. one point where we should have done this instead. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we've talked about in the past those... Um, what did you call them? Something moments. Oh, kind of like just 
memorable moments or, or epic moments. Yeah, the epic moments. I think that's what you talked about. And highlighting those at the end of a game. So win or lose, you're walking away with some good memories. Oh, yeah, that time you rolled the die and it just didn't work out. Like, I'm just picturing you lifting your sword up and it's slipping out of your hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, creating, creating the storyline to go along with it. Yeah, and I think it creates more of this shared experience, you know, that is so key to any friendship. And I'm not sure that competitive games always provide that. I think you can work to have them provide that, but it's a little more natural in competitive or cooperative games. One again, going back to the moments that you're invested in when you're playing cooperative games, everyone is invested in the here and now. When you are playing, because every move affects what you're doing in a way that is not the same in competitive. In competitive, you're very attentive to what's happening in the here and now, but what you're invested in is when your turn comes around again. And That's so true. You can kind of, sometimes you kind of check out when it's not your turn, and then it's, whoop, you surface, play your thing, and you're back to being like, either planning out your turn or staring off into space, whatever. Even if you've got your epic moment, no one else is as invested in it. And they may not have even witnessed it because they were so focused on planning out what they were going to do. And so as, as a host, teasing out and remembering and immortalizing those epic moments is so much easier in co-op. Because yeah. everybody can get on board with it. Right, right. And help you remember them and, you know, bring them up the next time you play that game. Well, I think for now, this might be this might be all that we're we've got going on for cooperative games. I, it is something I'd like to revisit in the future a little bit. Well we do we do love them and there's a reason for it. Well like we haven't really gotten into the kinds of cooperative games that there are like are, are we talking like code names or, or team games or are we talking limited communication games or um, area control or playing against a deck like there's all of these kinds of cooperative games escape room games yeah uh, which we haven't even done right not not really so <laughs> there's actually a lot more that we can touch on But I think not tonight. (laughs) We'll leave that for another time. Until next time, this has been Invite to Game Night. For today's favorite things, we want to know what is your favorite randomizer? Now, this was Gordy's idea. He frequently comes up with these and I don't always know what he's talking about. So to give a little bit of context or give, give some ideas here, um, ideas for randomizers include bag draw, dice, card flips, coin flips, spinners, an app, etc. Whoa, whoa, you forgot the pop-o-matic from Sorry or Trouble. <laughs> I have a very distinct soundbite in my head of that pop. I cannot produce it, but I can hear it very clearly in my head. Do you know, so um, I think it was Jeff Engelstein just did a 
uh, a game tech on the Popomatic uh, die roller. What do you mean uh, game so, tech? Uh, a game tech means. in um, I don't know if it was Ludology or Dice Tower podcast, but he did a, a segment. It's short, but just on how good a randomizer is the Popomatic. Oh, and is it? In a sense. Spoilers. So, short version, apparently it's pretty good at giving, like, fairly equal roles to all the numbers. Yeah. It's very bad, like, it's very predictable if it's on a certain number, what the next number will be. Uh, Like, 50% of the time, it just flips it over to the other side. Interesting. So, anyway... (laughs) That's kind of fun. I, I guess that rules out Popomatic can't be your favorite randomizer <laughs> if it's not a great randomizer. It can still be your favorite. I'm 100% about the bag draw. I love pulling things out of a bag. I especially love when it's like a push your luck thing where you keep drawing from a bag and you're hoping you're not getting something bad. I'm such a gambler in those situations. Even if you've got dice in a dice tower? Okay, you didn't mention a dice tower. I mean, come <laughs> on. You throw those dice down the birdhouse and wingspan, that is a whole experience right there. Okay, it's a tie. What's your favorite? I don't know. The thing about card flips is that you can build so much suspense. It's like, you know, you not quite got the card yet. Fingers touching the card. You've got the card in your hand. Is that a flip over? No, no, no. He's just trembling a little bit and then flip over and it's exactly what you didn't want. I think most of that excitement is built up in your mind, Cordy. I don't (laughs) think it's there. But some good randomizers for sure. So please tell us what is your favorite randomizer. Do you like chucking dice, rolling them down a dice tower? Do you like picking the dice off ground when they fall off the table. Do you like flipping cards or having two people pick a number and adding the sum between the two? It sounds like you're doing an ad. Do you like flipping cards? Do you like adding numbers together? (laughs) And if I'm totally out to base on Popomatic, please tell me. Thank you for listening. Episode 7 Operation Cooperation was recorded on September 17th and produced with incredible speed thanks to technology from this decade. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to continue the conversation with us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you disagree with our conclusions, think we missed something important, or think we could have just said something a whole lot better, send us a message. If there's a topic you think we should cover, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find us at Invite to Game Night. We'd also love if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform. Tune in next time as we welcome Leprechauns, Pots of Gold, the number seven, and Four Leaf Clovers to Game Night.